0: Father, use the words that I speak for your glory. Amen. Good morning. I am happy to be here. And I know that that sounds like the first cliche of the day, but uh, let me tell you a little bit about my current life. Uh, as of September 1st, I am the appointed vicar of all of Winnetka. Now you may ask, where is Winnetka? Like I did the bishop when he said he wanted me there. Uh, It is a small town in the northern part of the San Fernando Valley. And this is a reboot of a parish that had uh, dwindled uh, to uh, a few members and um, has a lovely school attached to it. Uh, But since I got there in September, Uh, my main job has been battling spiders and dust. Uh, I am largely by myself in this charge, so um, whatever uh, gets done, gets done by me. So, my friends in Christ, I am so happy to be here (laughs) today. I spent the morning walking behind Troy, thinking to myself, it's so clean. It's beautiful. Look at this. So uh, I hope to be uh, more like you guys when I grow up. Uh, Thank you, uh, Dean Troy, for uh, the invitation. And uh, please invite me back soon. (laughs) The New Testament scholar, Marianne My Thompson, suggests that the four canonical Gospels are A bit like a family who goes on vacation and on their return dumps everyone's photos onto a common hard drive. And then each member creates a slideshow, selecting out the best pictures to tell the story of the vacation that they would like to tell. It's an interesting way of looking at things, and it's useful when we encounter gospel stories as familiar as this one, the cleansing of the temple. It is told in all four of the gospels, one of the rare stories that are, but in this particular version from John, everything works a bit differently than in the other three. In the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, The cleansing of the temple is the climax of the public life of Jesus, the the trigger event that sets into motion Jesus' arrest, trial, and public execution. John, in contradistinction to those, uh, and written a full generation after the other three, John puts the unforgettable incident near the beginning of his saga, sandwiched in between two other important stories, right after the wedding at Cana, the first miracle or sign, a term favored by John, and right before the nighttime visit from Nicodemus, that inquisitively searching Pharisee. This is no accident. The story of the temple cleansing is placed right after the story, of new wine, newly minted so that a wedding feast could continue unabated, 120 gallons of the stuff, wine that comes forth from the ritual waters of purification, and right before Jesus and Nicodemus have a heart-to-heart about what it takes to recognize the breath of the Spirit by being born from above. John is also unique in this regard. His gospel is the only one to mention three yearly Passovers connected with Jesus, of which this is the first. It's the only way we know or that we assume that Jesus had a three-year ministry. If we were to take any of the other gospels, Most of his ministry could fit into one year. So John is the one that tips us off that this was a longer time. Three mentions of Passovers. The first, the cleansing of the temple, where Jesus equates the physical temple with his physical body. The second mention of Passover is the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus does an extended riff on himself as the bread of life which is his body. And then the third, the washing of the disciples' feet, where they are instructed to wash one another's feet, to serve one another as Christ's body. And if I haven't thrown enough stuff at you already, please note the subtle shift of language from Jesus, from the synoptic's use of My father's house will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. To John's deliberate and telling use of the word marketplace. Stop making my father's house into a marketplace, an emporium, a business. A bazaar where one shops and barters and trades and where both parties are trying to get the best deal they can for the least amount of money. No, said Jesus, you've turned grace into a business deal, a relationship into a transaction, a connecting bond into a spiritual bartering. And there's the heart of it. And we all do it. See if this sounds familiar. Dear God, if you will only do this for me, I promise, 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 I will do X, Y, and Z for you. Eh? Bargaining. Or the reverse. Because you did allow that to happen in my life, which I kindly asked you not to. I won't do this. Resentment, bitterness. I expected you to give me money because I gave money to you, as the faith healers promise. As Calvin is purported to have said, the human heart is an idol factory. Every one of us is an expert at inventing idols. Good things that we elevate to God things, comfort, approval, success, control. When created things subvert our worship of the Creator, we have a worship problem with cosmic implications, complete with false gods that never fail to fail. So, in the middle of this Lenten season, we're told to ask ourselves, where are we improving on God's simple plan of an intimate relationship? Where are we demanding that we or others perform this or that in order to be a true believer, acceptable to God? Richard Rohr says that in Jesus' time, the very architecture of the temple revealed what Jesus was trying to reform. The design of the building named and protected degrees of worthiness at the center was the Holy of Holies which only the high priest could enter, and only one day a year. This was surrounded by the court of priests and Levites, which only they could enter. Outside that was the court of the circumcised Jewish men, which only they could enter. The outer court of the temple was the court of Jewish women. And outside this entrance, there was a sign warning non-Jews who entered the temple that they would be punished by death. In the temple, we see structured in stone what all religions invariably do, create degrees of insiders and outsiders. On some level we all create meritocracies or worthiness systems and invariably base them on some kind of purity code, racial, national, sexual, moral, or cultural. The pattern never changes because it is a pattern of the fearful and over defended ego. And now we can see what a radical reformer of religion Jesus was, showing no interest in maintaining these purity systems. Uh, It seems as if he spends six days of the week hanging out, eating with friends, talking with enemies, but the real work seems to all be done on the Sabbath, huh? Just what the law says don't do. these restrictions that make various people impure, the washing of hands and cups, the rules and the ways that human laws are placed before real people. And here, how can we not pause a moment to reflect at this 50-year anniversary of the Selma March and the day which would become known as Bloody Sunday? How can we not pause and reflect on the Justice Department's newly issued report on Ferguson. It's Jim Wallace who writes the Ferguson Police Department replaced its mission of public protection with revenue generation by extracting money from the black residents of their town using methods the Justice Department said may be unlawful. The report painfully and painstakingly reveals unconstitutional and consistently abusive policing aimed at balancing the city budget on the backs of its poorest and black citizens. The Ferguson police went beyond racial profiling to direct racist exploitation for a profit with police apparently more concerned about filling the revenue pipeline than protecting public safety. Religious, replacing relationship with revenue stream. Jesus comes to us and says, get this out of the way. This is not what your life was meant for. This is not what you were made for. This is not of my father, no matter who told you that it was it seems that a great part of the work of the people of God this day is telling that story we who have tasted the new wine of the wedding banquet we who celebrate the grace and love of God with open hands and a Compassionate heart. We must be the first to allow Jesus to clear these marketplaces out of our temple before our world can feel and delight in the fresh wind and breath of the Spirit.